Hello there, it's your fellow revolutionary, and these are Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke. Storytelling with a purpose, to magnify the real Jesus of Nazareth by sharing experiences and insights of revolutionaries from all over the world in order to advance the mission of God among all people. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and anywhere you get podcasts. Would you like to know more? Go to talesoftherevolution.com. This episode is entitled, Shadows of the Past. My professor in the School of Ministry and its founder, Carl Westerland, would say, if your past is affecting your present, it's not past, it's present. In this episode, we hear some encouraging stories from amazing men of God, and you will also hear some stories by me. Uh, Not sure if I'd call them encouraging, in fact, I don't know how to categorize them. But that doesn't matter. The fact is that they happened. They're real. And they're a part of who I am. When I hear people talk about things of the church, it makes me recall my own thoughts and experiences in the matter. I remember going to Mass at the Catholic Church around the corner. I think I had been before, but this is my earliest memory. I went with my grandfather, who had just come to live with us from the Philippines. We took the ten-minute walk over to the church and went through the doors and found a place to sit near the back. It was a lot for me to take in being a young boy. The stained glass, the cathedral ceilings, see what I did there? And a whole bunch of people who looked like they knew what they were doing. I did not. They knew when to kneel and they knew when to get up. I remember one guy who walked down the center aisle, got down on one knee, stretched out his arms and raised his head and looked up at the huge crucifix that served as something of a backdrop and centerpiece to the entire sanctuary. Nobody flinched. It was all business as usual for these folks. I, on the other hand, was in a whole new world. I remember seeing other boys about my age carrying candles and wearing strange white outfits. I learned later they were altar boys. A man in plain clothes led the congregation in a few repetitions of glory unto God, glory in the highest, peace for his people, peace on earth. During the mass, everybody lined up to take a drink and eat a wafer. So I did too. Most of the people walked up to the priest who then placed this wafer directly into their mouths. I just couldn't bring myself to do this. So I took it in my hand and brought it back to where I was sitting. I looked at this thing for a while. It was grayish white and circular. In the center was the shape of a cross, kind of like hot cross buns. My grandfather saw it in my hand and made a motion with his hand for me to put it into my mouth. So I did. It was like a strange combination of styrofoam and matzah, and I felt it melt on my tongue and disappear into nothing, and it had very little flavor. After the service had ended, I went back to the house and gave a full report to my brother, 
See episode one, Turnaround. He was fascinated by my description of the wafer. He said, next time, try to bring one back. I want to see it. Rather than ask why he couldn't just come with us, I simply said, okay. So I went again and same thing, word for word. Same song, glory unto God, glory in the highest. Same sing-song priest with his weird vocal inflections. Then came time for the wafer. I took it into my hand from the priest. But this time, instead of studying it, I placed it into my shirt pocket and got through the remainder of the service, probably another hour or so. When the time came to leave, a woman stood in front of me as I tried to walk through the double doors. She looked a little out of place for our ethnically diverse neighborhood in Santa Ana, California. She looked more like she belonged in Savannah, Georgia with her hat and all. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen anyone like her before or since. She held out her hand and said, I'll need that wafer. I was surprised and puzzled. How did she know? Had she been watching me? Why did she care? So I pulled it out of my pocket and gave it to her. She asked me, Do you know what it means to earn your first communion? I kind of shook my head and I may have blurted out, I just came with my grandfather. So when I got home, I told my brother what happened and he was like, Yeah, right. He didn't believe me. He thought I just chickened out and was afraid to bring a wafer home. But every word of it is true. And it wasn't the first time I felt like a stranger in a strange land. I didn't know hardly anything about the Catholic Church. I still don't know a whole lot. I do remember having to attend again at that same church over a decade later for a funeral. A funeral of a young man not much older than me. And it was around that time I started considering the things of God and what would happen when I died. Our first guest storyteller is Gail Irwin. If you were to study his past, you would see shadows of a pastor and author. His most notable work would probably be his book, The Jesus Style. In fact, he notes that he has spent much of his ministry teaching on the nature of our great revolutionary, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I was thankful to be able to get Gail on the phone, and he's here with us now to talk about what the church should really be all about. You have to understand that our current thing we call church did not exist in that form for about the first 400 years after Christ. Church was in the homes. And I've discovered the interesting thing that no matter what kind of house you have, you can get about a dozen people in your living room. And isn't it interesting that Jesus chose 12 disciples? Now, I have also learned in my studies that the ideal size group for interpersonal relationships is 12 to 14. So with Jesus, he was right in the middle of that. And it dawned on me as I thought about that, that, you know, my grandfather, I have met more people in a week than he met in his whole lifetime, but I cannot 
really deeply relate to more people than he did. And I do believe that the, the strength of the church, which we have missed, is our smaller fellowships that are part of the church, where we have places where everyone gets to pray and be prayed for, everyone gets to know and be known. I realize that you don't have to be running but about 50 for in our current situation for someone to come in and sit through a whole service and leave and no one knows their name or, or why they're there or what their needs are. So as long as, as we are the, you know, strong preacher, big church kind of thing, we will be filled with problems because people are lost in the cracks. But I have discovered, I could write a book about this. You can take the worst and the sickest of people, and if they will agree to for their church activity to be a small group, they get healed. It's phenomenal. I could write a book about the miraculous recovery of people. When, as an assistant at a church, I decided to also have a degree in counseling, so they were counting on me to be the counselor, but I knew I couldn't handle that. So I got those that I considered to be the sickest <laughs> into one group. <laughs> and God just sort of uh, chastised me for calling them that. I never called them that publicly, but in my own private thing, because there was a point where I desperately needed prayer, but it was kind of because of, of some public problems that we were facing in the pastor there. And uh, so I, I needed someone to really pray with me about that, but I thought, I can't tell those sick people to pray for me. They wouldn't understand. And God just, don't you ever call my body people that won't understand. You don't understand the power of simple people. And so I committed that to the folks. And let me tell you, the miracles that occurred out of that for me and for them. The fact that I would ask them to pray for me and would be willing to confess that particular need was unbelievable. There were two people in there, three people who were suicidal. And to watch them change from that was just a phenomenon. Uh, and I learned a lot about dealing with suicidal people. And depression, man, that's a major problem in our world. And I learned how to deal with that, with just simple understanding of the nature of Jesus, you know. Of course, depression is ultimate self-thought. Maybe not ultimate suicide, it's ultimate self-thought. But in a way, depression is a mental suicide going on. And as I would lead people into getting out of themselves and, and just simply blessing other people, some of whom they might not want to bless. For instance, one lady I said is, can you walk around your block every morning? She said, yes. I said, I want you to do that every morning. And you can do it in the evening too. And pray for the people in every house that you pass. But what if I don't know them? I don't care. <laughs> pray for them. See what God does, you know. And it was remarkable. And then too, to write letters to you know, city leaders that usually don't get thank you notes from anybody. Just start finding out who they are and writing them thank you letters and other people become the thank you letter person of town. And as I, I taught them and they would do it because they were desperate to get out of themselves and blessing other people, 
you know, doing what Jesus said to do. He said, love one another. And he defines love. He says, as I have loved you. And he defined that love in John chapter 13, where that where he's made that statement as being servanthood by serving other people. And, and we get confused thinking that love is, is a warm, gushy feeling. But no, love is when we choose to do uh, servant acts for other people and do what's right and best for them. And when you do that, Jesus then says in John 15, I've told you this, that your joy may be full. And I have discovered that too, the realization of that is when I was able to get people out of themselves and just by choice, even though they may not feel like it at that time, blessing other people. It was phenomenal what would happen. It still is. God just still blesses And when I teach this. And one other thing about serving other people, you're doing what Jesus said, you're truly loving them, and uh, we're loving ourselves because we want people to serve us. <laughs> and so uh, we love ourselves enough, we want people to serve us, and when we serve others, it so enlarges us we, we just never quite figure out how it happened. And also, I'm convinced that that's the secret to sinless life. You know, people uh, stare at their sin and pray it down. No, you do that, it'll always whip you. But when you are blessing other people, you're not sinning. Voila! <laughs> so this other-centeredness, that's why I... I I came up with that bumper sticker, which I don't know if you've got a copy, but uh, we've sent them free to anybody that wants it. And we've given away over 100,000 of them. And it just simply says others. And uh, I'm a design freak. I like designs that are easily read. And you can't, you can almost read this one from 100 yards away. It's the only bumper sticker I've ever put on my car. And it's not very large at all. It's not. Not big, but it's just very bold and plain. Others, it's where it's at. But this world says, no, it's me, it's where I'm at. No, no. The more you think about yourself, the more miserable you become because yourself is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. I had a friend, I still have him, <laughs> who uh, in his, after he had retired, I think, uh, came into quite a bit of money by inheritance. And he had been a college professor at a very famous school. And uh, the Lord brought me into his life uh, before I knew that it was true. Uh, Chuck Smith and I had spoken at a conference in Nashville for uh, kind of the charismatic movement of the Disciples of Christ, Christian Church, and the Churches of Christ. This is back in 1985. And whenever I speak at any conference, I'm going to teach on the nature of Jesus. What I didn't know was that this college, retired college professor was there. Maybe he wasn't retired at that point. But he had been, as he put it to me, a follower of Ayn Rand. Now, Ayn Rand, A-Y-N Rand, is a famous philosopher who was an atheist and who believed that the ultimate thing is selfishness and um, she had some other really strange things and, and what's shocking to me is how many of our current 
politicians are followers of hers. And so she believed you should not have any regulations on strong, on, on rich or the strong, let them be what they are. Let the poor die. They're the weak ones. They're the, he had been a follower of her until he heard me teach on the nature of Jesus, and it totally transformed him, he said. Well, it was years later, 10 years probably, before he ever wrote to me and told me that. But he had now dedicated his life to helping the truly helpless people. I could spend uh, a long time just talking about what God's done with his life. But one day when he was driving home from helping a uh, a young lady who is is uh, cerebral palsied and fairly severe, and he had because nobody could do anything for her, the state couldn't help her where she lived. It was it was so sad, and he found out about it, and he just made that that girl's life. Uh, uh, she's a young lady now in her thirties. She just, he just made it a paradise for her and provided the things that she needed and uh, enabled her to become some things that she had dreamed of being. And when he had finished one of his projects for her, a house that she was in, he wrote me and he said, you know what, I, after I'd done that, he said, I feel like a million dollars. I wrote him back and I said, you realize you're onto something. You're really onto something. And this girl, by the way, has become a real prayer warrior. She's one of my prayer partners. If I really desperately need something prayed for, I make sure she knows about it. And God listens to her. A big thanks to Gail Irwin. Learn more about him and get access to his numerous titles, including The Jesus Style and That Reminds Me of a Story. Find all of it at his website, Servant.org. And while you're there, you can also get your own Others bumper sticker. And it is, as Gail indicated, absolutely free. Just click on Free Resources, and then click on Posters and Bumper Stickers, and it'll tell you the rest. High school can be a turbulent time. For me in sunny Southern California, I often thought of this idea that while we had great weather and immaculate landscaping, on the inside we were not great or immaculate. I used to speak of residents of Orange County, California, including myself, as those with a condition called sadness in the sunshine. Even as a teen, I realized that there was something we were missing. In those days, I would basically do whatever I wanted, especially after I got my driver's license. I do not remember ever having a curfew, and my part-time job afforded me all that I wanted as far as spending cash was concerned. We, and by that I mean my circle of friends, would try to see just about every movie that came out, and afterwards, we would go to an all-night diner and wax philosophical about the ramifications put forth by this particular movie. We didn't really go to wild parties or get plastered. We were the honors crew, and most of us graduated with high honors. It's not wildness that was my problem. It just seemed like that we thought we had it all figured out. For me, this changed one day. 
when I realized this was not the case. I didn't have it all figured out. In fact, I had very little figured out. I figured that I didn't know what I was doing in my life. A very close friend of mine, part of my inner circle of friends, invited me to her church where they were having an Easter pageant. By this time, I was not a churchgoer at all. In fact, I would probably consider myself an agnostic atheist at that time. But she was my friend and I thought it was nice that she wanted me to go to church with her. There was nothing romantic, nothing like that, but I valued her as a friend. I had known what Easter was. I had stared into the faces of many crucifixes, as I did have a Catholic background. But this was different. The church put on a dramatic reenactment of the crucifixion of Jesus. This was years before Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. I remember watching the Romans whip Jesus. I remember the crown of thorns being twisted upon his head. And I recall that he carried his own cross and was eventually nailed to it. A pervasive thought ran through my head during this passion play and afterwards. And it was this sinking feeling of extreme guilt. I wasn't even completely sure why. I was an agnostic atheist, right? This man who carried the cross, he may not have even existed. Isn't that so? But my thoughts continued. If Jesus endured this for me, what am I doing with my life? Why do I waste each night seeking entertainment and shallow pseudo-philosophical debates? This Easter play was a defining moment in my spiritual life, even though largely I forgot about it for several more years. Only after Jesus apprehended me did I even remember this incident from my past. I guess in some ways it was just a shadow. You're listening to Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke. The episode is called Shadows of the Past, and it's continuing with our next guest storyteller. He's a regular on the show, Pastor Dave Annan of Community Bible Church. In this revolutionary tale from the past, Dave recalls when he pastored a church in Pennsylvania, and that he and some other pastors in the area found themselves looking directly into the face of a very hot-button issue and this issue is still very volatile to this day. I'll let Dave tell you the rest. My name is Dave Annan, and um, just wanted to share a little bit about this, what God has done in my life when it comes to uh, pastoring and, and reaching out to those who are lost and those who are struggling in sin. I can remember in, uh, when I pastored in Pennsylvania, there was a local university uh, matter of fact, it was Penn State University. It was very close by our church, and they became very proactive as far as the acceptance of the homosexual lifestyle. And so there were all sorts of advertisements and things of that nature, and some local pastors got together, myself being one of them, and we were very concerned about this. We prayed, we asked God for wisdom, 
Uh, but we felt like there needed to be a biblical response to this. So the newspaper there, Center Daily Times, uh, they were again publishing all of these pro-homosexual advertisements from Penn State University and um, was just really, you know, becoming very obvious that they were promoting their agenda. So we, in turn, started to share uh, and, and we bought some advertisements saying that, you know, what the Bible said about the subject and, and that kind of thing. And so there was this cultural war, if you will, uh, that started to take place. And uh, in the middle of that war, um, I just realized, wait a minute, we're talking about some people who need Jesus. That's the main thing. Uh, we need to stand against sin. We need to stand against um, anything that is against the scripture, whether it's that lifestyle or any kind of lifestyle that is uh, against the Bible as the Christian community. So we need to take that stand, but we never need to, we, we always need to remember rather that that these are people that are lost. Satan has blinded their minds. They walk in darkness and they need the light of the gospel of Jesus. So the thing that took place was I could even sense in my own church that there was people that were getting very irritated that they would publish these articles, the homosexual community would publish these kind of articles. And so what I did was I did a little research and I thought, wait a second, okay, we've taken a stand, but how can we really love on these people who need Jesus? That's the, the main thing. They, if, they, if they accept Jesus, then they can, you know, the Holy Spirit would be inside of them. Uh, they would be able to understand what the scriptures say and we could bring them to the standard of the Word of God. So all of a sudden, I realized as a pastor that we needed to love the sinner. We need to stand against sin, but we need to love that sinner. So what I did was I did some research in the area and I found a gentleman who actually started uh, on campus, same campus that was promoting the homosexual agenda, who also started a HA group. Now, you may not know what HA is, but of course, when you think of AA and, and other A's like that, uh, of course, it's a support group, Alcoholics Anonymous, that kind of thing. Well, he started a chapter of Homosexuals Anonymous. And so I thought, you know, we need to educate our congregation on how to reach people for Christ. How, how are we going to reach the gay community? How are we going to reach the homosexual community? So I had this gentleman come in and he taught our church. I met with him. Uh, he had been a uh, homosexual, he had been at Penn State, he had gone to University of Florida, was very active in the homosexual lifestyle, but God did an amazing work in his life. He trusted Christ as a savior, and now he felt very burdened to go out and reach the homosexual community. I had him come into our church, and I had him explain to our church, okay, we, we know it's a sin, that's not the issue at this point. How are we going to reach the homosexual community? How are we going to reach out to the gay community? And it was amazing for him to get up in front of our church. This man who was experienced the grace of God, once was a homosexual, now was a believer, 
and by God's grace was living a straight lifestyle only by the grace of God and by the, the Spirit's work in his life. And he shared with us how we as a church could reach out. And, you know, reaching out to the homosexuals is just like any other, whether it's reaching out to, to Muslims or reaching out. And, and that is we needed to develop a relationship with them. And they're real people. They have real problems. Matter of fact, they probably have more problems than, than, than we do. And, and to, to build those kind of bridges. And it was absolutely amazing to see our church, our whole church, change their attitude from let's stand against the sin. Let's get out there and, you know, go out and protest if we have to, to, to more of a, you know, let's reach the sinner. And this, this gentleman came in and did a marvelous job of saying, listen, if you're going to reach gay people for Christ, then what you need to do is, and he gave us a list of a number of things, about five different things. And you could just sense the spirit working in our church and our our whole church's temperature toward uh, the homosexual community just literally changed. Yes, we still stood against that sin, but we this gentleman was used by God in our congregation to be able to understand that we need to, to reach these people with the gospel. And it was just an absolutely amazing God moment for him to come in, share his testimony, how he was converted, how Christians truly loved him, and how we could do the same thing in our community. Thank you, Pastor Dave. You can hear more about his personal journey by checking out episode 15 of Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke, entitled Damaged Goods. You'll see that none of us are damaged goods to God, no matter what. I'll also include a link to Pastor Dave's blog in the show notes. Do you hear that? That's the music. That means it's about that time, the end of the show. And while this episode is soon to be just a shadow speeding to the past, you can get more at talesoftherevolution.com. More of what you ask? Well, (laughs) past episodes, of course. The episode you're listening to now, Shadows of the Past, marks the 18th episode of Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke. Check it out at talesoftherevolution.com. And while you're there, subscribe to email updates. If you do, I'll send you links for exclusive downloads you won't find anywhere else. And also, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. Each episode has also been uploaded to YouTube with a static graphic. So just check that out if you'd like. Search Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke on YouTube. Follow us on social media, facebook.com slash Tales of the Revolution. And I'm on Twitter, at Jason Vreeke. That's V as in victory, R-E-E-K-E. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this show with anyone who may benefit. Again, this episode is entitled Shadows of the Past. And remember, if your past is affecting your present, it's not past, it's present. So, a suggestion. Deal with those shadows by exposing them to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And do what you can to introduce others to Him. 
as you live the revolution.